dismiss the kids at this time. <laughs> uh, so if uh, preschool and elementary, if you guys want to head out, and then shortly after them, if junior youth want to head out as well, that would be, we'll miss you. <laughs> but have fun, all right? It, it is probably more fun out there than it will be in here. Sorry. Morning, for, the, for those of you who are stands. It does feel like most, most, that was a good time. Most of the crowd seems to leave, right? That's, that's exciting. Um, it, ha Merry Christmas. Happy Advent. It's good to be with you again this morning. Um, let's just dive in this morning. I want, we're going to read our passage uh, of scripture to kind of open. So we're reading from John uh, chapter 1, and we're just reading the first 14 verses together. So in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Let's just pray. Lord God, we just thank you for... Uh, for the scriptures. Thank you for the inspiration you gave to the people who came before us. And we ask that our time together uh, would bless you and that it would be focused on you and you alone. Amen. So this, um, this past May, I had the opportunity to do a, uh, a canoe trip. And I, I, I regularly go on canoe trips, um, at least one a year, if not more than one a year. But um, this was a special trip because it was a trip that I had been planning for a few years. Um, it was a trip that uh, took 14 days, and we did about 420 kilometers for 14 days, and um, over the 14 days, which if you're not sure, that is actually quite impressive. Just in case, just in case you were wondering. Um, so we did 14, uh, 14 days, and this trip was like it was about 12 hours of travel each day. So either um, goes the other way, either can, uh, canoeing or portaging, and it was about 60 kilometers of portaging, which most people a 60 kilometer hike is a pretty good day. Try doing it with a canoe on your back, right? Um, so we did this uh, this over 14 days, and we had quite. Quite a good time. 
I did probably the hardest portage of my life, and that is saying something, because I've done quite a few. Um, but we did what was the hardest portage of my life, and it's this thing called Buzzkill Mountain on this trip. So this trip is actually called Venus Link. If you want to look it up, you can. But um, just not right now, if you're on your phone. Um, but it's this thing called the Minus Link, and you come to, you basically there's this portion where you have to go up this river, you go and up the river. If you're ever canoeing, always go with the river, go down the river. Uh, it's, just, it's just wiser, but for whatever reason, the route, this route takes you up the river, and as you go up the river, um, you travel basically two days up the river. And then you come to this, this portage, Two portages, the first one's easy. The second portage they've lovingly dubbed Buzzkill Mountain. Because you have just finished this brutal uh, uphill, up river slog, and you think it's over. And then you have to travel uphill, basically, felt like straight uphill, uphill for a kilometer and a half. And uh, that was probably the only time, it was about the fourth day, but it was the only time on this entire trip that I felt like quitting. Just a little bit over here. And as, as we were doing this, we, we moved each day. We moved each day, and when we, at the end of our travels, we kind of had planned what we needed to get done. And as we traveled along, we got to our campsite, right, at the end of the day. And when we got to our campsite, there's certain things that you do when you get to your campsite, right? And if any of you are camping, you, you know this. But for those of you who are less enlightened, <laughs> um, when you get to your campsite, like you, you land your canoe, and you, if you're going to have a fire, you gather firewood. You start dinner, especially because usually uh, uh, the sun is setting. Um, and you get clean water, of course, because you need clean water. And you set up your tent. Some people, that is actually the most important thing. My brother and my, uh, myself, who I went on this trip with, we argue about this. To me, first thing you do to campsite is you get, you set up your tent. Because if everything else goes wrong, at least you have a dry place to be. He says, first thing you do is get firewood, because if anything else goes wrong, you can make a rip-roaring fire and have a blast. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Anyways, we did this trip. And at the end of every night, we would get to a new campsite, and we would set up our tent, our dwelling place. And this opening hymn of the Gospel of John invites us into kind of this mystery of this incarnation that we have been talking about last week and this week. And it's this mystery that God, who is the source, the creator of all things, right? The word at the beginning, as it says in John, enters into the mess of all wor our world and becomes one of us, embracing everything it means to be human. And we celebrate this at Christmas and we wrestle with it at Christmas. And I say wrestle because this is a mystery. The incarnation, the idea of God becoming flesh is a mysterious thing. And as much as we might like try to wrap it up in some kind of neat doctrinal or theological package that everyone can accept, the reality is, is as we wrestle with it through time, we learn more. It isn't a neat, tidy package. It's a mystery, and that's okay. This mystery is beyond us. And so we, as we wrestle with it at Christmas, as we wrestle with this mystery, it transfor transforms us, trans what we know, how we live and move and find our being, as the saying goes. But it also it transforms how we think about and how we practice our faith. 
Now, some, some scholars have said that John 1.14, which we just read, may be the most important verse in the Bible. I think that's a bold claim, one I wouldn't be prepared to make of any verse, even though I would have some favorites that I put up for contention. But the, even though I wouldn't necessarily, it's the most important verse in the Bible, I would definitely say it has extreme importance and impact. Let me read it to you again, just so you know what I'm talking about. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Right? God entered into our humanity and moved into the neighborhood. The word Eugene translates as moved into the neighborhood, or the NLT, which we read earlier, translates made his home among us, literally translates to set up his tent among us. The word of God, who is Jesus, came and set up his tent among his people. It, this gives us kind of a reminder of, of the tent or the tabernacle which the Hebrew people set up as they, as they uh, wandered the wilderness for 40 years. You can read about it in Exodus if you feel inclined later. But as they crossed and lived in this wilderness for 40 years, the tabernacle or the tent which was the dwelling place of God among them was set up and taken down as they moved, as they needed to move. It was a foreshadowing of this, of, of Jesus coming into the world. God set up his tent among his people just as Jesus came and set up his tent here with us. Here with us. It's an odd, it's an odd site choice. Sometimes when you're camping, you don't always have uh, the best place to make camp. On my own trip, we were traveling, and night came, and there was no sites to be found. So we pulled over to shore, and we found the flattest place we could find, set up our tent. And I feel like God, like you could have set up your tent anywhere. But he sent his tent here with us. And it's easy, it's easy to complain about the state of the world, right? Like, it's easy to kind of harp on it and, and begrudge it. I think that as church people, we have really honed this practice, haven't we? Uh, we regularly hear preachers rip on the state of the world and talk about how everything's just going to, going to pot, right? And we do it ourselves. We talk about how terrible of a place this is, how awful things are regularly. And I think it's because the complaining isn't without merit, right? It's a rough place. The world has its problems. You know, we could make a long list of the, disaster, the disasters brought on by the sin in our world and probably in our own churches. The world is a fallen place, yet even in its fallenness, even in its depravity, even though the entire neighborhood has gone to pot, God thought... That's a place worth living. That's a place I'll, like, I'll move into. That's a neighborhood where I'll live. That's a place where I will go and be with, a place I will set up my tent. 
this world, God thought, was a worthwhile campsite. We get caught up in the complaining, but when we do that, I think we kind of miss what the incarnation tells us. Christmas reminds us that God did not leave us alone to struggle in the, in the world, right? Rather, he entered into the brokenness. He came into this space in order to save us, to show us beauty, righteousness, justice, and humility. We talked about that last week, that the, the Savior comes with righteousness and in, in, in victory as we expect, but he also comes humbly, which we tend to forget. And Jesus enters his world in poverty, born in a stable, and he doesn't rise to power in the earthly sense. Jesus came to be king, but a significantly different type of king. See, Jesus' kingdom and the transformation he brings will be very different from the leaders of this world. Jesus told us in parables, his kingdom grows hidden and slow, like a seed that is sown. Although I think maybe in the Christmas season, the baking parable is a better fit. Right? Jesus also used this illustration, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman uses in bake, making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated throughout the whole dough. The kingdom that God will have is like the yeast in this world. I think to the disappointment of many, and myself included fairly regularly, Jesus did not come and overthrow all of the evil and all of the suffering in this world. You think if the king was coming, that would have been his first prerogative. But for whatever reason, and this is part of the mystery, Jesus did not do that. Instead, he enters into our space, enters into our suffering, and transforms it with love. Just as yeast transforms the dough by becoming a part of it, so Christ transformed the world by becoming a part of it. It works the same in our lives and in our churches. Jesus comes into the imperfection that is our lives. He enters into the suffering that we experience, and he changes us. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So Jesus came into the world, set up his tent with us, showing us the way of love. If you fast forward in the book of John to the second last chapter, Jesus has been crucified and has risen from the dead at this point in the, in the gospel. And after he first appears to Mary Magdalene, he goes to find his other disciples. And, he, and we read about this interaction that he has with them in John 20. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. And there are actually still places in this world where it's dangerous and illegal to gather as Christ followers, right? And meeting in secret, it's only prudent. 
It makes sense. And just as it was for the disciples at this moment, meeting out in public probably wouldn't have been the wisest of options for them. And I love that Jesus comes and meets them behind their locked door. Right? Not, a, not an issue for Jesus. But I'm struck that even though Jesus is impeded by the locked door, he also doesn't encourage it. His word to them is, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus said to his disciples, to his followers, to us, as I came into the world, so you are being sent. You can't hide behind locked doors. You might meet there briefly, but you're being sent out into the world to live out the incarnation, to live out heaven on earth, just as Jesus did. To be the yeast in the dough. Jesus came as a representation of God to humanity, but also as a representation of humanity to humanity. I think this is kind of the easiest way to understand how Jesus was fully God and fully human. Jesus came to show us who God is, but he also came to show us how we are to live, how to be the best possible version of humanity we can be. You know, if we return to the, the image of the tent, which I obviously have a, uh, a liking of due to my hobbies. If we return to the image of the tent, we're reminded of the trans, how it is, easy it is to transport a tent. A good tent is something you can take down fairly quickly and move around. Right? Because if you're really on a good trip, you should be making covering some pretty good ground. And I'm reminded that the tabernacle, that as Jesus was in the tabernacle, or as God was in the tabernacle, it was portable. Something that moved around, that dwelt among the, the Israelites, or the, the Hebrew people, no matter where they went. As they went through the wilderness, they took it down and they set it up wherever they were. God did that for the Israelites, just like he does that with us. He came in his birth, right? He came to us in a time and a space. But he also continues to call us into that space, to be people who go out and set up our tent in the world. Jesus came to show us that the way, a way of living that, that isn't behind locked, locked doors. And I think churches, we struggle, right? Because we have a tendency to be in, insular, right? We have a tendency to be separate, to be far away. We have a tendency to hide behind our locked doors and our safe spaces. And we focus on building temples instead of living in our tents out in the world. And God is so good, Jesus is so gracious that he meets us in these spaces. Which I'm encouraged by. 
But I'm reminded that even though Jesus meets us in these spaces, it is never where we were intended to be. It was never the intention Jesus had for his disciples to gather together behind the locked door. The incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world reminds us that we are to live out in the world, engaging the world where it is at. To set up our tents among people. And I think this Christmas, as we reflect on the incarnation, as we reflect on Emmanuel, God with us, can we ponder what it might mean for us to go and be in the world? Can we ponder what it would be like for us to love the world just as Jesus did? To be a church, again, Grace and Royal City, who, who give up itself for the world? Just as Jesus sent his, his first disciples out into the world, so too are we sent. And I hope this Christmas we can be a people who live out the incarnation and live out the will of God, which is love on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for coming to us. For choosing to dwell with us in our suffering. We know there's nothing we could have done in order to get to you. It's only by your grace that we can be in your presence. I ask that you give us strength to live out, live out in the world where you've placed us. Help us to resist locked doors and isolation. May we be embrace a life of being sent of continually setting up our dwelling in the world just as you did. Remind us to move out into the neighborhoods you have placed us in. Thank you for your example. Pray these things in Jesus' name.